Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. It's a simple truth that we can't escape. Houselessness is everywhere. It affects over half a million people in the United States alone. We try to make sense out of this tragedy, but it is a senseless endeavor. What I'm going to ask of you is a very tall order. I want you to take what you heard about houselessness, and I want you to forget it. Are you still with me? Good. Let us have a conversation. My name is Theo Henderson, host and creator of Weedian House, and I'm going to take you on a journey in this crisis. Being unhoused is a 24-hour job, and my lived experience in houselessness is extensive. I was one of over 75,000 people experiencing houselessness on a given night in Los Angeles. Now, contrary to ill-informed people, I did not grow up and say, gee, I can't wait to live on the streets to encounter societal rejection and violence. I don't fit the stereotypes of what news media, movies, and many housed people think of an unhoused person. Most unhoused people don't. Being unhoused is so often made out to seem like an individual's fault, not the hundreds of thousands of systematic failures that have to take place to put someone in that position in the first place. Needless to say, the unhoused are not a monolith. My history as an activist has been difficult, but unnecessary journey. I drew inspiration on my role as an activist from this quote from Shirley Chisholm. Activism is my rent for living on this planet, which is kind of ironic, isn't it? Paying with activism to fight for dignity and empathy in an indifferent world. However, the bill must be paid to foster a better world than I found it. My family has ties in activism, fighting in the civil rights era and the re-election of the first black mayor in Chicago, Mayor Washington, where I was born and raised. Living in Chicago taught me a lot, and Los Angeles has been an entirely new kind of teacher after I moved here. As I made Los Angeles my home, the motivation to speak out against housing injustice became 
too great, particularly when I became unhoused myself. In 2019, the house world was in complete obliviousness. House people were concerned with the humdrum issues of their lives, like pumpkin spice lattes, and most importantly, making sure that they don't see the unhoused person sitting in their neighborhood. But for the unhoused people, hell was being unleashed with the new ordinance that was voted in called 4118. A word about 4118 is touted as the new Jim Crow of Los Angeles. As you have known from history, majority of unhoused people are black and brown community members. And what this does, it is makes it illegal for unhoused poor people to sit, sleep, and lie within 500 feet of a posted sign that has been posted all over the city by city council members, neighborhood councils, and business improvement district owners. In 2019, most people never heard of a show that was going to be made by an unhoused person for unhoused people. Sure, they hear the occasional New York Times, NPR, or God forbid, Fox News broadcast. But even the good coverage was always presented by house people for house people about unhoused people. I tried to make an SOS symbol with this podcast hoping to find a knowing ear and build allyship between unhoused people and housed people. The disinformation campaign about the unhoused is threatening our will to be compassionate and empathetic to each other. We unhoused is constantly up against a pernicious belief that houselessness is a moral, individual failure. Case in point, I have a friend, a friend who is adamant that the unhoused community likes being out there. There's no critical thinking required, just quick, uninformed sound bites that is being reinforced by mainstream media. I have always believed that if you can demonize a person, then you can criminalize them. I wanted to show how individuals are affected by houselessness, and Weedian House does that. I took a figurative and literal breath and created this from scratch. Living outside, I had to utilize the tools I had available. I used a cheap phone. I edited and released episodes with the help of a couple of friends. I would speak with people about their stories, how city hall policies affected them, how the police disrespected and abused them, and how the unhoused were mistreated throughout the pandemic. It was all from the expert opinion by the people who were affected. Initially, I expected the show to hit local niche audiences. Imagine my surprise at people reaching out to me from out of state and out of the country who were displaced and unhoused and wished that Weedian House was a part of their experience in their place of origin. This podcast became the lightning rod for the world's moral consciousness. All of a sudden, the mainstream media outlets that had been treating the unhoused as a monolith for all those years were talking about my show, one that finally centered the community they've been misrepresenting for so long. My medium became a diverse attempt to get the message across. The podcast was only just the beginning. As I moved and these circles of people wanting to hear about the unhoused community and their struggles, I was installed as an activist in residence in UCLA in 2022 as a way to awaken the sympathy and empathy that was so sorely lacking 
and housed in very affluent communities. Then creating a newspaper that highlighted the struggles of unhoused people and being read by unhoused people in 2022 as well. And currently in 2023, my newsletter, which highlights the struggles that are beleaguering our communities. We in House as a one-man production was an important job, but an exhausting and really heavy lift. More polished shows did not have to contend with the obstacles that I endured, but I persevered. And now we're relaunching the show with a little more polish, but the mission of the show is still the same. So why relaunch the show now? Houselessness did not go away when I stopped doing Woody in the House in September of 2022. It has continued and now has escalated. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot to explore. And we have a lot to do to change the narrative about houselessness and how we look at our fellow human beings. If I told you that anyone that is in a medical emergency is in risk of being thrown from their home, would you believe it? If I told you that there are over 68,000 unhoused children in the Los Angeles Unified School District, would you be empathetic or dismissive? If I told you that the people who pick the fruits and vegetables in your refrigerator are unhoused, even though they are employed, would you be motivated to speak out against this injustice? This is the crux of my show, getting you informed so we can do something about it. The show deals with all aspects of houselessness, not just the obvious unhoused encampments. Weedy Unhoused will break down terms such as agency and language such as NIMBYs and what they mean to our community. And in every episode, we'll spotlight unhoused news, which is crucial to the unhoused community. My goal is to consolidate all things unhoused here, educate the community who would be unaware of the nuances of houselessness and motivate people to do something about this humanitarian crisis. Before we delve deeper into this topic, I want you to get to know me, my story, my descent into houselessness, and how I navigated it through it and out of it. So we're bringing in a good friend of mine, a podcaster in her own right, Bay Honey. And that's what's up next on Weedia House. Hello, hello, hello. It is another beautiful day out here in L.A., Hollywood, California, to be exact. And I am interviewing an advocate for the homeless in L.A., somebody that is making a lot of big moves, somebody that is really out here doing things to really change the trajectory of L.A. and the homelessness because we do have a high homeless rate. So I would like to interview this amazing man over here, the man with the plan. So I'm going to have him actually say his name and state what he's been doing and how long he's been in this business. Well, every time I hear someone introduce me, and I just have to thank you, Bay Honey, for introducing me so warmly, I always think it's someone else they're talking about. I say somebody's really some extraordinary individual. But I'll take the compliment. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Theo Henderson. Bay Honey has been kind enough to interview me as a guest on my Weedy and House show. I'm going to let Bay Honey ask me some questions and, you know, we're just going to have a conversation. Just talk about some of the stuff in my life that how I got to this point. Yes, let's have that conversation. Let's have a real conversation because a lot of people like to sugarcoat, especially when they've been through things they kind of like to skip over. So what we're going to do is we're going to get into detail about it. So when did you first experience homelessness? 
When I experienced houselessness or homelessness, because I use the moniker or the agency, houselessness and unhoused, and it's okay that some people use homelessness and things like that. That's not, um, that's not deters me. When I truly was delving into houselessness, I had spent short amount of times unhoused and I was able to get out because I had the financial wherewithal, I had support. But when I consider the true time when I became unhoused is when I had a deep medical emergency that relied me to be hospitalized for several months, requiring me physical therapy, uh, occupational therapy, and things of that nature. And while living in an apartment during the Great Recession and unable to pay the rent in order for me to make sure that I get all of the medical treatment that I needed. At the time, I was an educator. And I don't know if you know, educators do not make a lot of money. They do not. <laughs> My mom was, was a teacher, be, so. <laughs> so you understand. Yeah. The struggle is really real. I'm like, I'm telling you. Yes. It's like I didn't have a wife. I didn't have any kids to come and look in on me. And I had siblings that had fa financial and family responsibilities that they themselves had to take care of. So I didn't have that that kind of cushion that would be able to get me on my feet that I needed to. And I am a diabetic. And I am ashamed to say that when I was diagnosed with diabetes uh, earlier on in my career, in my life, I did not expect to get into a medical emergency at a young age. And I did not take care of myself. I was stressed out a lot. I stressed ate. My uh, insulin level was off the chain. My sugar level was, uh, it, it was ridiculous. And at the time, I'm ashamed to say that uh, average meal for me when I would go into a class early to prepare the lesson plans or to prepare the class was a, a dozen donuts. I, I know it's correct. A, Wait, a dozen, dozen donuts. In one sitting? Uh, yes. Wow. A dozen donuts. Uh, I would for lunch have a a, a, a two liter Coca-Cola and I, and I would eat like a, a, a half a bucket of chicken and if I, you know, like, again, I stress eat when I'm, I'm stressed and I'm more no depressed. I would, uh, and I was embarrassed to say, I would eat a whole large Domino's pizza with top of the wings or, or that those kind so of... That sounds so good right now, though. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I was eating and, and my doctors were warning me, like, you know, this is not good eating. And, you know, and they were watching and I would always promise, and I, and I, I have to say it's very difficult to keep my weight down and stay healthy, I, but I always promised I was curb off of it and I would take a day or two not to eat it. And then I would come back with a vengeance and then I would eat a dozen and a half of donuts and or or those kind of things. And that kind of bad eating caught up with me because I was stressed a lot and, and, and dealing with uh, the students and challenges of teaching and things like that. And I had a medical emergency and I went into a, a coma and I had a minor stroke. So I had to do a long difficult road of recovery. I still marvel how I did it, but the fact is that it, it was it was like I still if you listen sometimes, you can hear when I slur words because of the after effects of of the stroke. Yeah. Because or if I, I stutter someone's other words, that's because of that. Yeah. Uh, but I had to do a lot of speech therapy to just not sound like when I was trying to look for work like I was inebriated because when I did try to find jobs, people thought I was on substances or I looked like I was stumbling because I didn't have the balance like I used to. Yeah. Uh, so those realities that when I uh, really opened my eyes to the fears of living out in the street, how was I going to survive living in that new reality? And it was a new reality. It's one thing to be able-bodied and living on the street, but it's another damn thing to be disabled 
and living on the street. That's a whole new fear. Yes. You know, you can't defend yourself. There are times I didn't really be able to defend myself adequately because, you know, my reflex time is, is not yeah. what it is. You know, I mean, it would, I, you know, if someone jumps off or acts crazy, you, yeah. you be able to, you know, be able to run yeah. or defend yourself. Do and, something. Yeah, yeah. So, But with that disability, that really puts you in a position to where you were kind of, not even kind of, you were helpless. You really... We're out there and like, you know, people are not the nicest towards people that do not have housing. People are not the nicest. There are people that literally will get drunk, take out their anger. I've had I've had people that I follow that live, you know, that do not have housing. And they have literally had people, drunk people come and try to fight them, throw bottles at them and things like that. It's very dangerous. And people don't understand. People are very insensitive towards it because I feel like that could be anybody. It could be one medical emergency. It could be one paycheck. It could be literally one thing that'll just set everything off into a snowball effect that could put you in that position. So it's not that all people without housing are lazy and don't want to work or on drugs. Sometimes it's just hard times. And especially with the pandemic that's happened and the recession that's happened. I mean, let's be honest. If you were born anywhere from 1970 and to like 1990, you were you survived a recession, you survived the COVID-19, which we're still having after effects of that. So we're still everybody hurting right now. Everybody's pockets hurting. Even the big companies pockets are hurting. So that's right. for somebody to be without housing, because I don't want to say homelessness because I don't want to offend anybody, but without housing, because anybody could be in that position. I was in that position one way. We'll get into that a little later, but some people are embarrassed to say, hey, I did not have a home and to be able to say you were disabled. Yeah. While Living in that. So what type of challenges, what type of violence did you face going through that? Uh, thank you uh, for saying that, because you've hit on a really clear topic. And it took me uh, many years to come to terms with my disability. I because so many people do not know that I'm disabled um, because I present as a, and I, I'm not trying to brag. I present um, as I can speak well. I'm educated. Of course, I'm educated. I've yes. my undergraduate and master's. But the fact of it is, is that I still had disabilities before I became unhoused, but it exacerbated when I became unhoused. And the violence that I had, I, when you mentioned, like, there was a time when I was living near in Little Tokyo, and right, right across the street was this bar, and three people were inebriated, came and you know, as as people don't understand, they always blame unhoused people as attacking house people. Yeah. But you could be just minding your business and going to sleep like I was, and they thought it was funny to start throwing and start to attack and kick and and attack me. Now, mind you, I'm still recovering in order for me to uh, live and try to get back myself back on my feet. But these were three able-bodied people attacking me for the simple fact that there was no one around. I was unhoused. I was not going to be believed and they could have been able to do what they wanted to do and they could disappear into the night. And if it wasn't for me having um, a weapon of myself, I was able to scare them enough to get them to run off yeah. because they did not know that I was awake. Yeah. Um, the second event that I had was I was stabbed five years ago out in a park where I was living at and someone was trying to steal my belongings and I tried the same kind of Wolf tickets that we sell, say in Chicago, we used to sell wolf tickets, and that's dating myself. But when, when we say in the hood about we're selling wolf tickets, it's like we're the big bad wolf, and we're gonna blow down your house, and you usually run and leave. But you know, some people don't buy those wolf tickets, and yeah. they just, you know, okay, fine. And I engaged into a very ten to fifteen minute life and death struggle where a guy was trying to stab and kill me, and he eventually stabbed me, 
And I had uh, some after effects of that. I had to have my part of my colon removed. I had to have uh, some of my intestine. I had to have uh, some uh, part of my intestine sta- uh, stapled on. There is different after effects. Like, for example, I feel it uh, during the in colder weather. I feel that when I move, I can always feel where the attached where I was stabbed at. And then I have these long, uh, disgusting scars. And this is going to follow me into the, until the lights come off in my life or uh, I have to live with those new realities and new, new disabilities. I can't eat certain foods because it would cause my stomach to become upset. And it helped me realize how precarious it is to live out on the street. To be unhoused is like you're putting literally your life in hand for house people to abuse it and to you to not really get any justice on it. Yes. And I understand where that's coming from because there are people that will really, they see you as a target, especially being a person of color mm-hmm. out on the streets. They really do see you as a target. And um, as far as you touched on a topic, like if you did not have that weapon with you, you know, it probably would have been your life. And I've been in situations like that to where um, I'm going to share a little bit of mine. Mm-hmm. I experienced a brief homelessness back in 2014, 2014, 2015. And I had left a um, situation where it was not in my best interest, safety-wise. And, you know, I was in my car. I had nothing but my little Chevy Malibu. And I was going all the way from Louisiana all the way to Las Vegas, you know, to go see my family because I didn't have anywhere else to go. I didn't have money for a hotel. I didn't have money for anything. So I was sleeping in my car. I was sleeping at truck stops. And I don't know if you guys know, them truckers are... You, they, they can be very thirsty. Very thirsty. <laughs> and, you know, they they think that you're a lot lizard when you're a yeah. attractive female. Yeah, exactly. There was a time where I was sleeping in my car at a gas station. I stopped sleeping at a gas station. I started sleeping in, like, grocery store parking lots and stuff like that but with, like, the lights and stuff. But I slept one time at a gas station, and I had went in to go gr- go use the restroom, go wash up. Cause, you know, they had a little wash-up things. Did my little wash-up, grabbed some snacks, and sat in my car. I'm sleeping in my car. One of the truckers had seen me from inside and decided that he wanted to try to, you know, yeah, right. make his move, make his move. But I'm Caribbean. So, you know, <laughs> I had that thing on me. You know, he backed away. But if I wouldn't have had that on me, if I wouldn't have protected myself, I probably could have been in a situation where I was, you know, essayed. Yeah. You know, as you can point out, a very real reality for women that are out here on the streets, they face another layer of houselessness that I do not face. And so they do definitely face a reality of that kind of assault, uh, that fear. They having to keep their eyes open and, and they have to make sure that the intent of the gentleman or, or the I won't say gentlemen or the uh, miscreants do not take advantage of them. So you're right. It's, it's a very different reality and which is why houselessness is a layered onion. It's not just one black and white thing that people don't want to work or they like being out there. Yeah. We're going to take a break and we will be right back. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats. 
even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. We're back. Most people that are out there don't want to be out there, but, you know, it is some people that do are out there by choice. Unfortunately, um, I have family that has been out there for years. I have a cousin since I was like 12 years old. I'm 31 now. So I was 12 years old. She'd been on the street. She don't want to leave the street. She liked the streets. But most of the people that I've met outside of that don't want to be in that position. They don't want to. Be, it's just circumstance. And honestly, I'm just grateful because it, it really puts into perspective what you take for granted. Also, I want to point out, too, because I do know a few people that have uh, explained to me why they like to be out on the street. And one of the things that I do like to offer is because initially they did not, but because of them having their hopes dashed a lot or they having such a severe trauma, like uh, the woman that um, her husband was looking for her and she tried to get on her feet and she would go into the domestic shelters and they would always would find her and it caused her to delve deeper into her, her substance uh, usage, uh, drinking. And so she felt that the easiest way that he won't find her is just to stay on the street because she can always leave a different area of the, of the corner. But if you're staying at a stationary domestic place or domestic shelter and you come out, then he's laying in wait for her and the kids or taking the kids or whatever. It's a little bit different. So a lot of times that people that are out here, they have resigned themselves, like the gentleman where his wife was dealing with terminal cancer, and he just basically just gave up his will to live, and he wants to live on the street because his wife is gone. Uh, those yeah. kind of conversations are not always delved into or explored yes. because this is why. You know, he lived, literally, he was a super across the street from the building where him and his wife were together. He took all his savings and tried to save her life. She passed away. He couldn't support to uh, stay in the building. So now he lives out across the street. I mean, and, and these these kind of stories never get told 
by mainstream media. It always, the beginning and the end, is personal responsibility. People like to be on the street, or they're mentally ill, or their substance uses, and that's the end of it. But we there's mu- so many layers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is why I, I, I'm so glad that you came in to talk on it, because there is so much of the conversation that I want to have and 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 this show and this show is so important for us to explore it even further. There are so many facets of houselessness. And I'm just grateful that you even are speaking on this and you're giving it a platform because there are so many stories that are untold. So many stories to where it's like you never know what somebody's circumstances. So before you judge somebody for their circumstance or what you see on the outside, really like have you had a conversation with that person? Do you know what it, how they got to that position? Because you never know. And honestly, I want to dig into when did you start doing advocate work for the houseless? That's a good question. I, I really, I looked on like my family members that did the advocacy kind of thing. And I listened to, yes, you probably have grown up in the families of, in, in the black community, too. You've heard the stories about the civil rights. Yes. You've seen about Emmett Till. Well, I grew up in a time where they would show about Emmett Till. I literally was educated about Emmett Till. Yeah. Um, and then I listened to a lot of the historical references. I lived in Chicago when the first black mayor was the, I saw the election and the challenges that my parents were going out there, getting people activated into the community, having these, like my mother used to, God rest her soul, uh, have these, I'm going to date myself, Tupperware parties. And I, I don't know if you know oh, yeah. what that's like. My mom the, and them, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah I, I mean, that is, if you, if it was like, especially like the church gores would have this, yep. this big thing. I, mean, I could see it now. My mother would get these candy corn and the uh, uh, peanuts and make this little mix thing. Mm-hmm. And she would make this, like this tuna sal- uh, salad. And then she would make, she would make this whole, of a fried chicken. She would make the whole big thing, this big Kool-Aid, punch of Kool-Aid and things like that. And the ladies would come in with Tupperware pots and bags and things. They were organized, but they would gossip. And, yeah. <laughs> and I, of course, I was always ear hustling and learning how they were doing organizing things. They were talking about the church that they would go to on the other side of the West Side. And there's members how to get them to come to speak about getting new school books in the in the areas that they were in, how they were looking to support each other, yes. how they were looking to raise money because somebody's kid, they didn't get their food stamps or something. Yeah. They wanted to put money together so the kid could go to a school trip and not feel left out. Aww. And I mean, so those are small things that I look at and listen to. I'm like, wow, that really was organizing yeah. in their way and without... Black women, particularly in the civil rights and in the activism where the movement would never have moved to the great lengths and heights that it had. There's no way around it because they just had an innate understanding how to broker relationships with people that were in, may not be in the same, having the same issues, but they always kind of was able to connect or use the connective tissue to unify people to go and fight for the same cause. Like, for example, there was a lot of teacher strikes. Uh, there was a lot of parent things going on that they would get together and to consolidate to speak on to really improve the lot for all of the children at that time or the people uh, that they need, like the slumlords, forcing them to put on turn on the heat during a, a, a cold spell, um, those things. So when I uh, look back on that, and it was like almost my organic, DNA to get into activism, I didn't figure a way to really get into activism until I learned from my own experience, but also start talking to other unhoused people 
and looking at, like you said, getting to hear the stories, like the gentleman with his, his dying wife or the youth that like there was a story that really, um, really affected me. And I never really got to talk to them. But there's two. Bro- there was a brother and sister. They were crying unconsolably. Mm-hmm. And they had came to the park that we're in. And we did, and I didn't we didn't know what was going on. We knew they were young and we knew that they were not unhoused at the time. Uh, so we said, you know, why are you out here? And their parents were killed in a car accident. And they had nobody else, and they were afraid that they were going to be separated by the state. And they didn't know what to do, so they just ran away. And those kind of stories resonate and stays with me and really says, you know, I'm really tired of having close friends of mine say that unhoused people like to be out here. They've been on crack. They they have every destructive and most vile reason. Stereotypes. To, yeah, stereotypes to use to justify the callousness or dismissiveness of a very delicate and nuanced and layered conversation. So I initially, before I got into doing podcasting, was going to write a book about my own living experience. But then I started hearing about the advent of podcasting. I joined, I was on a podcasting show. It was suggested I did one. I, and I took it from there. I created my podcast, literally living on the street. At the end of the night, <laughs> I did my episode. I would sleep down in the sleep down, I bed down in the park, get up in the morning, go and do my research, go to the library, or go to another encampment somewhere else, or have someone drive me to another place where encampments was to get to know people. And for the most part, the most um, shocked people and really more warm of the uh, warmest of people were unhoused people. They wanted people to know that there's they were more than the yeah, stereotype, exactly. And that, really gave me the fire to cont- and motivation to continue to do that. And honestly, I want to give you your flowers because of the fact that you had that determination because listening to your story, there should be no excuse for anybody else. <laughs> you are disabled, houseless, and you managed to get yourself up out of that. Yeah. And you managed to create a podcast speaking on uh, speaking on your story and other people's stories and c- reaching out to help the community. Even when you didn't have it yourself, you reached out to help. So for anybody that's out there looking for motivation to get up off your, you know what? <laughs> Please listen to this. Please listen to this, man, because... It takes determination, especially in a state like that. You could have easily just been depressed and gave up. You could have easily gave up, but you didn't. And another thing you touched on, which I really appreciate, was when you were talking about your mother at the Tupperware parties and how they all came together to make sure that, you know, make sure another child that wasn't even theirs was straight, made sure that that child had everything they need, could not feel excluded. And I feel like that's what we're missing right now in the community in general, but especially in the community of black people and people of color. Because we really don't have that togetherness anymore. It's just more like crabs in a bucket. Like, it's kind of like, even if I could, and there's, and here's the thing, there is more than enough for everybody to eat. Yep. But for some reason, we have been placed in this scarcity mindset to where it's like, if this person wins, that means I can't win. But that's not true. We gotta, we gotta lift each other up and breaking the next person down and neglect gatekeeping from the next person is not going to assure that you get what you get that's not going to take away from you if they win i feel like if i can say god has specific things for specific people so it might not be your time yet it might not be your time to shine it might not be that might not be what god wants for you but everybody can eat i have to say i have to agree because you're 
I needed to pass the collection plate. But the point <laughs> is, <laughs> but the point what I wanted to say too is that it is true that I I created this podcast, but it took me a long time. I had to go through my time in the wilderness as well to find what, what my purpose was because I had to deal with uh, the embarrassment and had to deal with the judgment of people that did not know my story. And, and which is why I get on those type of individuals because the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. And if when you do those things and when you make those snap judgments about people and you demonize individual because they are dealing with systemic things, this is not a personal failure. These things happen to people all the time that just want the best for themselves in life and their life, and it just happens. And what we do as a community, like what you touch on, and we have left that. We don't have that same empathy that is needed. But when I look at a person like Empty, another unhoused individual that does a mutual aid every Thursday, getting to know the community and feeding food insecure people that are living in houses and they cannot afford the food because the rents are expensive, this is the type of kind of fabric that we need in our community. Yes. Oh, especially in Los Angeles. Los Angeles is a cold, cold, cold city. Yes, um, absolutely. Absolutely. And honestly, oh, man, my heart really goes out to those that are unhoused right now because I've been in that position. You've been in that position. At one point, you're going to be in a similar position, which is why it pays to have compassion. It pays to have compassion. So next time you guys see somebody that's on the streets or... Oh, my goodness. I had an experience where I actually broke down and cried in my car. I had just moved to L.A. It was like during the pandemic. And, you know, I was literally one check away from being, you know, on the streets with my daughter because Mm -hmm. the the person that I was with at the time, he he wasn't working. He was doing extracurriculars. Let's say that he was doing extracurriculars. So it was just me holding everything down. So it was literally if I hadn't got that one check. That like that went to work that night and got that one check, we would have been out on the streets and kind of was just like by the grace of God, because I literally was driving down the street right after I paid my rent. And I seen this woman. She looked like she was my age. She had a little girl with her. You know, I had my little girl. Little girl looked around the same age. And then she had another little girl in a stroller. And she has said, just got evicted. This is during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Just got evicted need money for a hotel to stay and I had just so happened to have like I say like 20 extra dollars in my pocket but it just it brought me to tears because it was like that could have been me so I gave her like 20 dollars and I gave her some snacks in my car and I talked to her for a little bit it was just like she's like I was just one check short I was just one check short and it's literally People don't understand how close you can be to that, regardless of where you come from. There are people that were superstars, ball players that were freaking celebrities or CEOs that have been brought down. So it always pays to be humble. So I want you to kind of touch on what is it that exactly you do? What services do you offer for people? There's a couple of things. Someone asked me this question and I'm going to answer yours uh, intertwined with this question is like what do you want your legacy to be i i have been very proud of creating with you in house but one of the things that i want to be remembered for is creating a platform where unhoused people's voices are heard and it was a groundswell of empathy that followed afterwards people were motivated to do something 
The second thing that I do, and, and I, I do this constantly, there's an African saying that people die twice, the physical death and when, we, when no one speaks the person's name. Um, there was one woman that was embarrassed that she found out her father was unhoused. She had no idea. Mm. And the shelter called to come collect this stuff. And so she had to go down this rabbit hole because in her, you know, she's working. She's with a, I don't know if she was married at the time, but she had a kid. You know, she's going through the regular life, you know, yeah. just thinking about that. And she's got to come to terms with finding out her father was unhoused and learning and going backtracking and finding out where did things go wrong. She remembered that there was a rocky marriage between him and his mo her mother, but she didn't understand the challenges and the, the deaths that he went through to be unhoused and the level of effort he hide, hid from it because he they were in contact with each other. Yes. Of course, he never said, oh, by the way, darling, I'm unhoused. I can't, you know, or can I stay with you until I get on my feet? That was never a conversation. And there was like the guilt involved or the family member. There was a gentleman his, um, that was, had a favorite uncle and the family threw him out because he had a mental breakdown and they never really conversated on why he's not at the family gatherings. And he's finding out that he passed away because he was out on the street uh, for untreated mental health issues. Mm. Uh, so these kind of stories, people housed and unhoused would reach out to me um, because the stigma we have so often about houselessness is so by mainstream media, by people that have big snap judgments and people that you say these things to are feeling either guilty or they, in order for them not to be judged, they won't even mention it or don't even want to talk about their family members mm -hmm. that are unhoused because, you know, they don't want to be looked on like, you know, you, your problem or you, you know, you may become unhoused or, you, you know, your family is damaged goods and things like that. Yeah. So, like I said, the power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. Yeah. But those ripple effects, when you throw those harsh stereotypes about unhoused people, one of the things, too, I want to uh, take a quick detour is like when you see people out here in the heat wave, we can go into an air conditioned room. But if unhoused people deal with most of the environmental injustice, environmental issues, if you are sleep deprived and you're having to uh, stay up all night to make sure your things are not taken or harassed by house people and things, your behavior is not going to be as lucid. And it doesn't always mean that they're mentally ill. They may be having a reaction PCSD. to sleep. CCSD, sleep deprivation yes. is real. Or they're uh, being dumped by hospitals. They haven't been able to be treated for the medication because there's a lot of hospital dumping going on. And so it's more than just what people just make the snap judgment on when you see unhoused people. And I just wish if there's anything to be remembered is this this podcast as well as my uh, that and the mutual aid I do every Saturday with J-Town Action and Solidarity and helping providing uh, charging services for unhoused people's phones, uh, harm reduction supplies, uh, clothing, food, uh, different things for unhoused people that basically charities just only touch on. But we need a lot of that type of empathy, empathetic kind of services instead of just thinking one institution does all of it, which some uh, other form people believe in. So. Ooh. That was that was deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got I, I'm getting a little emotional because it's like when you touched on that. Most people are very embarrassed. Yeah. Most people are very embarrassed to be in that situation. I know I was when mm -hmm. I experienced it. I didn't actually say it until our interview. Yeah. Nobody knew yeah. because it was just like I was so embarrassed. But it, it just it really touched on it because it just. 
What was your most embarrassing time? Because I, I, I have, <sighs> mine was like when I'm not able to get to the showers in time or I had to plan to go to the doctor and I couldn't get to the places that had the showers because there's a big long line. And so I knew I was going to end up not smelling as, as fresh as I would like. And I having to encounter going to public transportation or and if it gets hot, then you got to like trying to yeah. navigate, run to a bathroom, but then there's no public bathrooms and so that was my embarrassing thing. What was what would be yours? Mine was um when my only shelter, my car, actually was uh almost totaled. Oh no. On the way to <laughs> Las Vegas. Uh-huh. <laughs> I ended up, it was in it was in February. So it was in February. I was in Decatur, Texas. And people in Texas don't really know how to drive. And there's a lot of black ice in Texas. Mm-hmm. So I was going up the the uh, railway in my Chevy Malibu. And my Malibu lost control. Hit the curve. Wheels turned in. I, um, thank goodness, I was able to get some money um, to get a hotel for a couple of days. But the first day, I was like, I had to sit in the lobby. I was sitting in the lobby. I did, couldn't take a shower. And as a female, mm-hmm. and it was that time of the month, too. Yeah, yeah, so as yeah, a female, yeah, yeah. I didn't have barely anything with me. Like, I was just, I was sitting there, and they were nice enough to let me sit there. They're like, okay, you know, we'll give you a night. My dad wired some money to me. He didn't know I was going through that. Mm-hmm. He he didn't know. He, he just was like, okay, let me just wire this to you. Mm-hmm. And I was able to get the shelter, but it was like that first like 24 hours after I had crashed my car in Decatur. I was in the middle of Decatur, Texas. Mm-hmm. I ain't never been to Decatur, Texas, and I didn't know whether it was a sun downtown or yeah, not. Exactly. Especially in the sun was going down. I had no car. <laughs> I'm in the middle of a soul storm. Yeah. I stink. I am. I haven't eaten. My stomach's beatboxing. Mm-hmm. It was just it was so embarrassing because it was just like I I've never been the type to be helpless or to feel like I was helpless. So in that position, I was completely helpless. And I remember I was talking to the ex that I had left at the time because I don't know why, like me and my ex, we're still cool. But at the time, we just we just weren't good for each other. So I was talking to him. I was like, yeah, I crashed my car. He's like, maybe that's a sign you should come back. I was like, over my dead body. You know, so <laughs> it was, I, I kept I kept trucking. Mm-hmm. I mean, we cool now. Shout out to, shout out to him. He's mm-hmm. doing a great job. But at the time, it was just like everything was going wrong. And I was like, dang, maybe I should go back to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I was, But I was just like, so everything inside of me was like, no, no, no. Like, So that was super embarrassing for me because I've never been in a position. To, and I hate stinking. I hate not smelling good. I, anybody that knows me knows I smell good every time I come to the road. But that time, who we? It was horrible. I No deodorant. I ran out of deodorant. I, oof, that was embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's one of the major uh, difficulties. Second, major embarrassing things is one is like that. And like, I hated two things when it got too hot or it was like, for example, when we have in Los Angeles, when it gets rainy and too cold. Oh, yeah. And I have, you have to change your clothes and the water because it starts to mildew your clothes mm-hmm. and it calls, even no matter if you, you wash them or not, you still, those clothes smell. You can take a shower, but those clothes smell right and that was a major another uh embarrassment because uh it is not that easy just to get up and just dry your clothes like other people do yeah and i know like and los angeles is not meant for walking they got all these long ass heels and i'm already disabled and all of this out me so you cannot just get pick up all your clothes and just go to a laundromat you've got to you have to coordinate your time and calculate your time mm-hmm. especially you know some of the places like i would try to sneak in those laundry places 
to take a shower, but then they had people in and uh, to try to deter uh, unhoused people going in there showering. They'll come burst in the door while you're either trying to use the restroom or get, get all of those kind of those kind of tactics that they use to always let you know that you were not welcome in places. You were not welcome. You were not allowed to have dignity. That's one of the things that yeah. I have to say that is one of the driving forces about these ordinances, this way that people treat unhoused people. You are not allowed to have a dignified existence. And that is something that I knew that I, I would love to continue a legacy to reinstall our empathy and an empathetic uh, wellspring of, of good goodwill and kindness of people. Because we all deserve to be treated decently. Yes. You know, nobody wants to get up in the morning and smell ripe if they have no choice. No yeah. one wants, you know what I'm saying? Nobody I mean, wants this, to be musty. No, nobody wants, really. You know, if, and if you see people sneaking in places like that, it tells you they don't like it either. And and we don't have the, the bathrooms for people to have the dignified to go to the bath. They're trying to be as dignified and have their, some kind of uh, self-esteem and we're taking it from them with all of these ordinances, hostile architecture, no bathrooms, or these signs as in restaurants, no public restrooms. I'm like, everybody goes to the restroom. If you don't have places yeah. for the bathrooms, it stands to reason that you're going to find creative solutions. Yeah. I hate to break up just such a riveting conversation, but we have to take a break. We'll be right back. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. And we're back. Bye. Stayed in um, K-Town when I first came out here. Yeah, yeah. Where I was at, I was on 8th and New Hampshire. I had an alleyway where, the, you know, the houses would stay and have mm -hmm. their meetings and stuff. I don't know what they have meetings about, but, mm -hmm. you know, it was right in the alley that my place was at. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I remember there was one um, houseless man that actually had passed away in the alley. And 
the way that people like discarded of him, even when I was with my ex, I was with my ex at the time. And, you know, I seen it. I realized like, okay, I'm like, he's not moving. He's not breathing. Like I'm driving past in my car and I'm like, yo, like maybe we should like call somebody, you know, come get him, go to call the hospital or something. And I remember my ex was just like, nah, 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 don't, don't worry about it. I was like, no, it looks like he's, because you know, when you, you pass away, you void your bowels. Yeah, exactly. So he voided his bowels. I was like, yo, like, I think that, you know, on, yeah. he was just very like, you know, stuck up towards him. Like, oh, anyways, they'll come get him. They'll come scoop him up. And I was just like, well, we should call. And I, I kind of low key called. And I was like, hey, like, there's somebody out there. You know, I called like the attendant. And I was like, hey, like, you know, there's somebody out there. I don't know if he's alive. He's not breathing. He voided his bowels. You know, and in the military, they teach you the signs. So I was like, look, I like pulled up afterwards and the coroner went and got him. He did pass away. Yeah. Unfortunately, rest in peace to him. We pulled up and he wasn't there. And I was like, oh, he's not there anymore. He's like, yeah, because he, you know, my ex was saying some like really messed up stuff saying to Roger, oh, because he's, he's this, this and this. And I was like, well, if I wasn't taking care of you, you would be in his position too. Absolutely. You know, and Absolutely. people don't, people desensitize and dehumanize. So it's like, you could be in that same position. Absolutely. And I keep saying that during the interview, but I just want for people to humble themselves <laughs> for real. And to see the humanity of people. Yeah. And just because, and I have to quote something from the X-Men, which is so true. Just because someone stumbles and loses their way doesn't mean that they're lost forever. And mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that we cannot institute empathy and kindness to a person. This is a human being that has transitioned from this earthly spirit to a place of peace, a place of non-existence. But the fact of it is, is like people taking selfies, people walking over the dead body. People just not looking at this person, though he lived on the street. He had a life before he was living yeah. on the street. Nobody, I guess, yeah. No one just said, well, let's go and live on the street and be mistreated or treated like second-day tr trash. We, as a society, have been uh, inculcated or been educated, indoctrinated, if you will, into thinking that someone, because they don't have the financial status or they don't have the housing status, that they are giving free reign to dehumanize them. If you can dehumanize a human being, then you can criminalize a human being. I always say that. They always do that. I noticed that, too, with um, there's a lot of profiling with police when mm -hmm. it comes to houselessness. There's yes. a lot of profiling, especially if you are an unhoused person of color. Yes. And there's somebody that I did mention in the last interview. Um, There is a trans woman mm -hmm. that's out here. She literally has the most positive attitude. It really puts into perspective, like, you could be grateful in any place that you're at, but she's dealt with a lot of discrimination. She's dealt with a lot of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. She's dealt with a lot of it. She used to be an ex-cop. She used to be an ex-cop and, you know, she was Trump. So she has PTSD from that. She has PTSD from she, her whole family cut her off mm -hmm. just because she made the decision to live in her truth. And right. I think that's not discussed either. People yes. that are transitioning or people that are, you know, from the LGBTQ plus community, a lot of them get put out on the streets, too, because of their decisions on who they at, choose to love and who they choose to be. At a young age, too, because a, a lot age. of, like, on Hollywood and Western, during the pandemic, I was interviewing a lot of the unhoused youth, that families, the, when they find either they come out to them or their parents are very religious and they find telltale signs, a diary or a stolen caress or whatever, something has happened that has uh, uh, horrified the family and they throw the kid out. Yeah. And in, in essence... The kid doesn't have the coping skills because they are kids. So they have to find survival methods that would make anyone else shocked or would scare anyone in order to survive. Not only dealing with their own truth, but now so dealing with the realities of being unhoused 
living in their truth and living in a reality that is in all our communities like now are not as sympathetic to the LGBTIA plus community as well. Yes, so. because I've noticed that so much. And there's a lot of people that I went to school with. There's a lot of people whose parents really kicked them out at a very young age. And mm-hmm. honestly, I'm just going to say this for the record. Mm-hmm. It should not matter who that person decides to love, who that person decides to be with. It shouldn't matter what that person wants to wear, whether that person wants to wear a dress, whether that person wants to change their body. That has nothing to do with you. That is their personal agenda. That is their personal life. Let people be who they are. Let people live in their truth because the world will be a lot happier if people let that happen. We cannot talk about liberation if we are trying to uh, model the same oppressive tactics that are used against us. Exactly. And I say that because as an African-American uh, heterosexual male, I notice sometimes, in uh, particularly the uh, toxic masculinity male communities, is that that conversation is always used as a way to oppress black women or, or oppress people in the LGBTI community. It's like, I can't be free unless you're free. Because if I'm having to extend my experience or extend my power to dominate you. I'm not free. I'm still caught up into a cycle. Now I'm just taking on the tools that was uh, created yeah. to oppress you. The oppressed becomes the oppressor. Exactly. So, so how the hell can we can be free? So in order for us to be as seen as we are, the world would be a, a much easier place and much more graceful place, a much more empathetic place, which was, I guess, this is for the word of the day, like in Sesame Street, is empathy. We have to have this empathetic wellspring to be reactivated because it's it's, it's going on empty. We're, we're dry in that, in that well because we are afraid and we're afraid of the unknown and we're afraid that someone's going to get an extra crumb that we do. And if we they get the crumb, mm-hmm. then what does that make us? Because we've been asking for crumbs forever, but you know, someone may get an extra crumb, but that extra crumb may be used to oppress you. And right. we need to just look at it like, hey, we all are getting crumbs. So it ain't like we're getting right. all of the same piece of the pot. So we have to work together or we have to understand yeah. that this is not, this is designed for us to be at loggerheads with Exactly. Because if you really think about it, okay, let's say this person's getting the extra crumb. Mm-hmm. Let's say if you got your little crumbs, they got their little crumbs. If y'all put y'all crumbs together, y'all could come up with something. Like, hey, Instead hey, of man. actually being like, oh, she you got see. an extra crumb. Let me take her crumb. Uh-huh. Let me, let me oppress her crumb. Exactly. Instead okay. of being like, okay, I got this. You got this because there's different strength. There's different mm-hmm different roles people can play in yeah, things absolutely. okay so she has this he has this let's put this together and let's make something bigger because honestly this whole movement is bigger than everybody absolutely nobody's bigger than the program exactly nobody's bigger than the movement and the idea is to tackle and dismantle the program that is making sure that we only get crumbs because that's not going to yeah. be sufficient in the long run anyway exactly so the whole point is of getting a slice of the pie instead of the crumbs so if we mm-hmm. work together to use those little crumbs we got to tackle down the systemic uh, issues that are plaguing both communities or m- many communities yes then we're winning we're we're doing something exactly <laughs> and i think we do lack um empathy we lack actually working together yeah because people don't want to work together more they're all out for themselves but i do want to actually touch on before we close this interview uh, okay. i want to touch on what you have planned for the future what events what 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 programs can people go to in la because people want to know um there's definitely food organizations i've been working with food organization um shout out to laca la community alliance for feeding the homeless and feeding the um unsheltered and feeding people just on hard times i want to actually get into what programs you offer what what where can these people find these resources what do you have planned in the future any any events anything that you have every saturday every saturday from 2 to 5 
in Little Tokyo, we offer a mutual aid. And that is I partnered with J-Town Action Solidarity. We provide fresh hot food. We provide harm reduction. We provide uh, medical care. We provide charging where people can charge up their devices. Um, we also offer different like uh, talent night. We have Diamond in the Rough who performs. We have some that get do poetry. And so we are there um, every Saturday. Um, I also offer, uh, like I say, you know, you have to look out for it. I try to let the Can You See Me memorials um, where I go either to City Hall or other places where unhoused people have passed away. And we hold like the most recent one we had. Um, I don't know if you remember about Mr. Jordan Neely. Yes. Mr. Jordan Neely, I hosted um, a train memorial. I put brought the coffin and, and people from the community came on the red line and we basically started communicating and eulogizing about the realities of unhoused people that are on trains because there's been such a negative and a hostile way of how they treat unhoused people. And so those things I, I offer, as well as like there is going to be other uh, events that we're going to do, but most often than not, I am um, dividing my time with doing the show, but I also speak regularly because I want to talk about this reality that I missed. Houselessness is just not encampments. And I'm proud when I became the activist in residence and I started talking to the classmates in UCLA. And then when unhoused people started to tell them, yeah, I'm a college student and I'm unhoused. At the end of class, I have to sleep in my car. Oh. And that opened up a, yeah. such a, a different thing. It, sh it shocked some of the students, but it also, and like they would come to me and thank me for people bringing that up. Yeah. Because before, that conversation has never had. It's a blind eye Exactly, to it. Like, because people think, how many people think unhoused people are on substances? How many people see unhoused people only thinking about they're on the park or in, on buses or yeah. benches and things like that? Some of these people are college students. Exactly. And that that's why I said it's so important to understand the layers and the nuances of houselessness. And I want people to understand houselessness is closer to you. I have a Starbucks uh, Frappuccino, but I had people when they were re listening to my show uh, when I first started would come up to me and whisper. I'm unhoused, but I'm working at Starbucks. Yeah. And I wanted to do I, I, I would like to get your, your talk. I would like to talk to you and get your story because people need to know yeah. you don't know who's unhoused. Exactly. It is not always. Some people hide it very exactly, well. Exactly. Very well because they know the stigma. They know the hostility that's out there about houselessness. So they rather not let you know unless if someone takes the temerity or the courage to say, hey, this is part of unhousedness. You know, I, I'm, I'm a college educated. I'm going to class. But at the end of the class, I live in a shelter. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah. I can't afford the rents here because it's the, uh, the area we live in is too ridiculous. I yeah. live in my car or I have to get I have to leave here in class early to get to the shelter because they have a curfew. Yeah. So these stories is why yeah. I do what I do. I'm sorry. I'm getting emotional. Yeah, it's OK. But <laughs> I, I this is why I do the show, because I want people to realize Ugh. You never know yeah. how much of an impact you have on someone's life. Yeah. And when you make snap judgments or you close a door yeah. or you become callous or indifferent, you don't know whose life you're saving. You don't yeah. know whose life you're, you know, you're closing the door on. And that is what I want to do. Reopen the door of kindness. Yes. I, there's a saying that I believe, use your heart to love somebody. Yeah. And if your heart is big enough, use your heart to love everybody. Yeah. And if we can do that, as a society and learning like we are our brothers and sisters keeper 
And we must understand that if we are not together, if someone else is not together, we mm-hmm. must be we have that empathy. We must re- re- rekindle that, if yes. you will. So there's more than enough for everybody yes. to eat. Also, I wanted to take the opportunity quickly to give you a shout out because oh, we you. connected on your show. Yes. And just to give out uh, her flowers, Behani's uh, interview was so explosive, but it's also much more well thought out. It was one of the better interviews that I had in a very long time by podcasting, which is why I chose you to interview Thank me you. here. <laughs> but I felt that it is important because she has a podcast and I listen into her story. But tell us a little bit how we can find you as well. Um, You can find me on Dash Radio on Caliente Girls. You can find me on Instagram, Bay Honey, B-A-E. H-O-N-I. Um, I spelled honey different because I'm giving tribute to my Hawaiian culture, my Polynesian culture. But you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Caliente Girls. You can actually find me all around L.A. I'm everywhere. So, And most importantly, she's also a fitness aficionado. So yes. you're seeing which is what she is, the person of many talents and many hats. So you can reach out to her. And if you probably want to be a guest on her show, yes. what do you need to do to get to reach out um, to you? Just reach out to me on my Instagram. Slide my DMs. Now, I don't know crazy stuff, but yeah, if, yeah. if you want to interview, for sure. I, I, I'm down to interview anybody that's doing anything in L.A., anybody that's grinding out here. Because L.A., if you can make it in L.A., if you could do something in L.A., you can make it anywhere. So I would love to help you be that stepping stool, help you be that elevation that you need. So, yeah, just reach out to me and reach out to reach out to Theo. He is doing his thing with, oh my goodness. And I'm just so grateful that you chose me to interview you for this because this is big. Like I was not expecting that call to be honest. I was like, oh man, let me figure out how to get there. Let me, I had to move some things around, but I was like, I was honored, but I, I thank you for having me and I thank you for allowing me to interview you. This legacy that I want to leave is that I want to leave the world a better place that I found it, but I also want to leave it that unhoused people can say, this is a place where I know that my voice is respected. Yes. I don't have to feel uh, shamed or blamed or, 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 or bad about being unhoused. Yes. And here, honestly, I'm glad that you have this platform because I want to leave the audience with this. You are heard. You are loved. You are wanted. Please take up space. It does not matter whether who's telling you what your circumstance, your circumstances do not make you, okay? Your circumstances do not break you. Okay, so whether you're in a hard time right now, there's always getting out. Keep faith. Keep the faith. Stay positive and take it one day at a time because you never know. It could be one day that could change your life. And honestly, I want to let you know to never give up, never give up on yourself, never give up on life. Regardless of what this life has thrown at you, everybody goes through things, but it's how you handle it afterwards. So you are heard. You are loved. You are wanted. And take up as much space as you can in this world because you are welcomed, regardless of what media and people try to tell you. You are welcomed, you are loved, and you are free to be yourself and take up that space in the world. So this is Bay Honey. I just did this amazing interview with Theo, and I am grateful to be here logging out. Thank you very much. Wow. We're going to take a break and we will be right back. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Thank you for dropping in to Weedy Unhoused, where we're introducing a new way of presenting the news to the unhoused community. Our exclusive interview this week is with reclaimer activist Martha Squitter of Reclaiming Our Homes in El Sereno, California. Here's Martha's story. So, Martha, let's start off. How did you get into the world of houselessness? I know you didn't look one day and say, I'm going to go out and be houseless because it's fun. So I know that there was a story. So tell us a little bit about your story. Yes, so I had left out of the country for two years, and when I returned um, to Los Angeles, rent was really high. It had tripled uh, from where two years ago because uh, my landlord didn't really raise the rent. I had a good job helping uh, high-risk moms, and I was okay with the rent. What were you doing with working with high-risk moms? What was going on? Um, So these moms were... I saw them when they were pregnant until the baby turned two years or also um, if they had a termination or um, they they couldn't have the baby. Uh, I saw them for a two-year two mark. And a lot of them were low-income, people of color. So that, you know, that's what's considered high risk is that the most uh, historically marginalized people were were the moms that I saw and the children I saw, the families I saw, providing them resources, education on how to you know be healthier families, be healthier people. But a lot of them at that time were also unhoused. Mm-hmm. A lot of them lived in their cars and shelters and uh, very tight living environments or also couch couch surfing. So I saw that, but it wasn't affecting me yet until I came back two years later and I saw myself in a similar situation. And I know 
because I provided those resources, that they were very limited and very traumatic. The shelters have been very traumatic for families. A lot of them get uh, called social services just because their child cries. Heavily policed, mm -hmm. yes, heavily policed environments and um, often very traumatizing, not only for children, but for adults. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to be in that situation. Also, like a lot of like things like Section 8, they take years. I had a friend that signed up when her daughter was a toddler. She didn't actually receive Section 8 until her daughter turned 17. Mm, so it's just like I know that we have an abundance of resources, but they're not distributed properly. So I didn't want to wait in line. And I don't think anybody should, actually, because uh, I feel that the government and our society does have abundance of resources, but they're not being distributed in a humane way. <laughs> One of the things about your activism is you have taken a different stance on creativity of approaching the situation. What challenges there were, uh, that you face dealing with the houselessness with your children? You have two children, right? Yes, I'm a single mother of two. Uh, currently, uh, my daughter is 14 and 11, mm. my daughters. But at the time, they're, they're seven, I, I believe, and nine. Mm -hmm. When we came back from Chile and we were living in a rural area with, like, indigenous community. So just even coming back to the city, it was, like, highly traumatic. Culture, yeah, culture We had, um, like, anxiety attacks. It was, like, really bad for us. And then we ended up going from house to house, from friends and families, which was also very traumatic um just that moving and not not having stability were the children able to thrive in school living like, like that because there is over sixty eight thousand unhoused children here um but the thing with it is people have this not uh, antiquated notion that only houseless people are male older guys they're spaced out or on a mental health break and that's it or people that are on substances what's a little bit different about the situation well, unfortunately, there's a lot of families with children that are unhoused and also a lot of elders that can't afford rent. They just depend on their Social Security and they worked all their lives and they don't deserve to be on the streets. Nobody does. But mm -hmm. these people have worked. They, you know, they, they believed in the, the dream. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they believe they work. They, yeah. You know, they did what they had to do and they're not able to afford rent. It's almost fable-like because here is a, uh, a slice of community that have mentioned they've got themselves on their feet. They don't require uh, government assistance. They thumb their nose in some respects. And then after all of that, doing all of what they were said to do, now you're out here, you know, scrambling between your, you know, your Medicaid check or your medication and you're out here on Saturdays eating from a mutual aid that are specifically designed for unhoused community members. So the house insecure also is connected in our unhoused movement, unfortunately, but it's a fact of realities. Right, exactly. And it's really sad seeing the elders like just be recycling to, to meet their needs. I, I mean, we should all recycle anyway, but just the fact that they like should be resting at this stage after working so hard and and working like Walmart or other like mm -hmm. places like grocery stores and even if it's part time they they have to continue to work mm -hmm. or else they won't have anywhere to live yeah. because rent's so high and it's high because it's made that way because 
in actuality, we have an abundance of houses. They say that there's um, three empty homes per one unhoused person. So we could house every single person here in the city. Which leads into the next question I had. And I was curious, what gave you guys the idea to look at the houses here? Because you did some rather extraordinary stuff. So I will let you tell your story further. Oh, for myself, it was um, Moms for Housing in Oakland that inspired me because I saw them and I was like, wow, like these are moms and they could do it. And they're, you know, they have community support. For those that don't know, Moms for Housing were um, formerly unhoused women that had seen abandoned buildings that has been abandoned for years. And they basically commandeered it and demanded the city to house all of the increasing unhoused uh, community members, which are mothers with children. And it is, was a big uh, conversation, and it was inspired a lot of movement. And I suffice it to say, I think it's uh, inspired you, as you, as you say, and you guys did some extraordinary things. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, and then at that time, I didn't know there was other groups that were meeting and identifying these homes. Mm-hmm. And we all kind of met through um, identifying the houses in El Sereno through uh, Eastside Cafe, mm-hmm. which was has been really knowledgeable in the struggle of these houses because they were the ones, they were one of the groups that fought against the the freeways being built, yeah. the, uh, that Caltrans took these homes like 30 years ago to build the freeway. Then the community fought for the freeway not to be built, but they s- remained abandoned, mm-hmm. a lot of them. And it was close to 200 in Alhambra, El Sereno, and South Pasadena. Wow. So not only in El, in El Sereno where we took the homes, but at other places, there were huge homes in, in Pasadena that are just abandoned for years and years. Mm-hmm and left to rot while people are suffering on the streets. And so to me, that is immoral. And so that's why, um, to me, like, the laws don't mean anything if they're, like, hurting us. So I broke the law to get into these homes so that um, I could have a house. During COVID, it was right during the COVID um, epidemic, where we were all supposed to shelter in place and I didn't really have a a home to shelter in place. So to keep myself and my family safe, we took a home in El Sereno. And also, we also raised awareness about these empty homes that none of the politicians had done anything. And then all of a sudden, now they they had a plan according to them. But um, through this whole time, none of them had really acknowledged these homes. I, that's what I was going to say. That's one of the inspirations that reclaimers, because you guys are reclaiming when it's basically the cities which is we're paying taxes in is ours. How did the politicians um, react to this? What did are they doing anything of the steps to open up other houses for uh, other house families, or what did they do? How were they you able to hold on to your home? For us, we uh, got an offer from Hakla and Path to have a two-year temporary housing agreement, mm-hmm. and so we signed it. We we signed it because we didn't really want to be harassed at the moment, mm-hmm. and we figured that we could like try to negotiate with them in in order to keep these homes, uh, or to find permanent housing around the area. Mm-hmm. 
because um, I have my children in the in the school there. That's really good. It's an alternative school. It's an indigenous school, mm-hmm. and she um, has special needs. Mm-hmm. So this school really um, addresses those needs. Mm-hmm. I also am a single mom, and I have a lot of my support system there. So I made it really clear what type of housing I needed, um, because we know like being displaced causes a lot of trauma. Absolutely. And so I didn't I didn't want to move from my community and they haven't provided that all the housing that they were providing was outside my geographic area and or or really expensive for my budget. So uh, the two year mark ended and we still right now we're under eviction because Mm -hmm. they didn't want to offer any transition in place or any other offers within the area. And the politicians really, uh, they, Kevin De Leon and Marilena Durazo, Wendy Carrillo, they all say they have plans for these homes that were not special, that we shouldn't get a deal, that we should wait in line like everybody else, those, those type of. And then the, the plan they have is for mixed income housing, which I believe is not very good. Now that you've reclaimed the house, um, have you noticed that there was an improvement and the outlook of your children, you, that you had somewhere to be, conversely having to stay in the car or, you know, any other ingenious ways of trying to survive. Well, yeah, it was a blessing having home, especially during COVID. Mm-hmm. I was able to start a co-op of families that were homeschooling at the time because everybody was homeschooling at yeah, the time. Yeah. And so, but we built our own curriculum. We um, fixed the, uh, the garage area to, to meet and have learning, and so that's when really our children were thriving the most. We were giving them a lot of attention, a lot of emotional support, and that would have not been possible if I didn't have a home, Mm -hmm. especially in that community. Mm -hmm. And they're a little more established. My daughters are have healed a lot, and so, and the families in general, all the other reclaimers as well, um, people that were living on the streets have, like, really found the, the time and space and community, especially to be able to heal and, and recover from their trauma. Well, you also have activated uh, them as uh, activists themselves. They have some accomplishments themselves. What what are they, what great things that are they doing now? So, yes, my daughters are very empathetic t- towards people, animals, and, and um, they volunteer every Saturday at J-Town Action and Solidarity in Little Tokyo with the unhoused community there. They also have a radio show on Wednesdays, 5 to 6. What's the name of it? It's The Sisters Show, and it's on in www.lpfm.la. Oh, okay. It's, it's streaming there. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And how do they like that? Because I've noticed I've peeped in a couple of times, and they, they definitely make, keep things very lively and different, you know, on a kid's level, to be frank, you know, conversely, because sometimes it takes our peers to show us that we can do certainly uh, extravagant or exceptional things. Yeah, they, they love the radio, and they love using their voice to, uh, you know, uplift youth, children, social justice, racial justice issues. and But they also talk about food because they're foodies. Mm-hmm. And they talk about, like, just fun things they do during the week. 
Oh. It's like it's like I said, you know, they're the new, they're going to be the future leaders. So they have to get into the trenches as well. So what's new? What's going to be on the plate for now for 2024? Uh, I guess I would need to ask, how is the battle going to be? Uh, what, what phase you are into it? I it, it might be tough, uh, but I don't want to give up. I want to stay in my community. I feel like where the heck are we going to go? Like they continuously displace us over and over again. And it's uh, it's like enough and it's enough. And I just want to stand my ground and, and stay there no matter what. And right now we're also going to have finally have mediation talks and conversations with Caltrans. Oh, that's a successful uh, set. Exactly. After so many years of trying and going to the offices and calling and, you know, doing everything possible, we finally ha- have achieved that. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm not too hopeful, but like I said, I'm I'm, I'm going to stay in my house. How can the community support you and your, your daughters? I think uh, the Best would be just to follow our social media, Reclaiming Our Homes, also uh, for the Girls the Sister show, and keep updated on our needs that we um, will currently maybe have this coming year in 2024. So, yeah, just keep looking for us there. Well, thank you for taking the time to come and have a conversation. I hope that people that are listening understand um, the whole objective of this episode is the diversity of the people that are displaced and their stories are singular, that we all have a story. We all need a little help and we all need it in our diverse ways. In our society, hopefully we'll get the idea and the spirit of empathy. Thanks again to Martha Squeeter of Reclaiming Our Homes. You can follow her work at Reclaiming Homes on Instagram or reclaimingourhomes.org. Another big thanks to Bay Honey for taking the time to get into a good discussion about houselessness. Her experience as well as mine. You can follow her at Bay Honey, B-A-E-H-O-N-I, and listen to her podcast, Caliente Girls, on Dash Radio. And finally, a big thank you to our new listeners and existing listeners. You can follow us on WeedyandHowls.com and check out new episodes every other Tuesday right here. If you have an unhoused person you are related to or know socially who has passed on, please send their names to WeedyandHowls.com so they can be remembered in our next episode, Can You See Me Memorial? That's next time on Weedy and House. Weedy and House is a production of iHeartRadio. It is written, hosted, and created by me, Theo Henderson. Our producers are Jamie Loftus, Lyra Smith, and Katie Fisher. Our editor is Adam Wong, and our logo art is also by Katie Fisher. Thanks for listening. Oh. 
Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.